Chapter Two of Stories of the Ships by Lewis Ransom Freeman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section One: A Battleship at Sea. The collier had come alongside a little after seven, two hours before daybreak at that time of year, and I awoke in my cabin on the boat deck just abaft the forward turret to the grind of the winches and the steady tramp-tramp of the barrel-pushers on the decks below. On my way aft to the wardroom for breakfast, I stopped for a moment by a midship's hatch, where the commander, grimed to the eyes, stamped his sea-boots, and threshed his arms as a substitute for the warming exercise the men were getting behind the shovels and the barrels. He it was who was responsible, partly through systematization, partly through infusing his own energetic spirit into the men themselves, for the fact that the Zeus held the blue ribbon, or the black ribbon, or whatever one would call the premier honours of the Grand Fleet for speeding coaling. Not unnaturally, therefore, he was a critical man when it came to passing judgment on the shifting of number one Welsh steam from hold to bunkers, and it was not necessarily to be expected that he would echo my enthusiasm when I told him that this was quite the smartest bit of coaling I had ever seen west of Nagasaki, something quite worth standing, shivering tooth to tooth, with a raw north wind, to be a witness of it's fair he admitted grudgingly only fair a shade over three hundred tons an hour perhaps twould have seemed good enough before we put up the grand fleet record of four hundred and eight trouble is they haven't anything to put em on their metal this morning now if some other ship had come within fifty or sixty tons of their record this last week or if we'd had a rush order to get ready to go to sea then you might have hoped to see coaling that was coaling all through my porridge and eggs and bacon the steady tramp of the barrow men on the forecastle deck throbbed along the steel plates of the wardroom ceiling and it must have been about the time i was spreading my marmalade real marmalade not the synthetic substitute one comes face to face with ashore these days that i seemed to sense a quickening of the movement not through any rush-bang acceleration but rather through gradually becoming aware of increased force in action as when the engines of a steamer steam up from half to full in a few moments an overalled figure with a face coal-dusted till it looked like the face of the endman in a minstrel show lounged in to remark casually behind the day before yesterday morning's paper that we had just gone on two hours notice a half hour later as the gouged-out collier edged jerkily away under the impulse of her half-submerged screw the commander a gleam of quiet satisfaction in his steady eyes remarked that it wasn't such a bad finish after all adding that the men seemed keen to get her out to sea and let the wind blow through her the ship's post-coaling clean-up usually as elaborate an affair as a turkish bath with rub-down and massage was no more than a douche with a lick and a promise anything more for a warship putting off into the north sea in midwinter would be about as superfluous as for a man to wash his face and comb his hair before taking a plunge in the surf once that perfunctory wash-down was over all traces of rush disappeared 
what little remained to be done after that even including getting ready for action was so ordered and endlessly rehearsed that nothing short of an enemy salvo or a sea heavy enough to carry away something of importance needs be productive of a really hurried movement just a shade more smoke from the funnels to indicate the firing of furnaces which had been lying cold and the taking down or in of a few little harbour comforts like stovepipes and gangways forecasted immediate departure the expression regarding the fleet squadron or even the single ship ready to sail at a moment's notice is as much of a figure of speech as is the similar one about the army which is going to fight to the last man a good many moments must inevitably elapse between the time definite orders come to sail and the actual getting under way but the final preparations can be reduced to such a routine that the ship receiving them can be got ready to sail with hardly more than a ripple of unusual activity appearing in the ebb and flow of the life of those who man her no river ferry-boat ever cast off her moorings and paddled out on one of her endlessly repeated shuttlings with less apparent effort than the zeus when after gulping some scores of fathoms of gargantuan anchor-chain into her capacious maw she pivoted easily around in the turning boil of reversed screws took her place in line and followed in the wake of the flagship toward the point where a notch in the bare rounded periphery of encircling hills marked the way to the open sea nowhere else in the temperate latitudes is there so strange a meeting and mingling place of air and water as at the northern base the butterfly chases of sunshine and showers even in december and january are suggestive of nothing so much as what a south pacific archipelago would be but with fifty or sixty degrees colder temperature dancing golden sun-motes were playing spirited cross-tag with slatterly sombre cloud-shadows as we nosed out through the mazes of the booms but with the first stinging slaps of the vicious cross-swells of a turbulent sea a swirling bank of fog came waltzing over the aimlessly chopping waters and reared a vaporous wall across our path the flagship melted into the milling mists and dimmed down to an amorphous blur with just enough outline to enable us a sight to correct our position in line in turn the towered and pinnacled head-on silhouette of our next astern ship grew soft and shadowy and where proper perspective would have placed the fourth was a swaying wisp of indeterminate image which might just as well have been an imminently wheeling seagull as a distantly reeling super-dreadnought the comparison is by no means so ridiculous as it sounds for only the day before a naval flying man had told me how he once started to bring his seaplane down on sighting a duck which was really some hundreds of feet in the air because he took it for a destroyer and how later he had failed to straighten out quickly enough because he thought a trawler was a duck in flight the lean grey shadows which slipped ghostily into step with us in the fog-hastened twilight of three o'clock might just as well had we not known of the rendezvous have been lurking wolves as protecting sheep-dogs 
now that we've picked up our destroyers said the officer who paced the quarter-deck with me we'll be getting on our way let's go down to tea smoke masts funnels and wave-washed hulls the whistleresque outlines of our swift guardians had blurred to blankness as i looked back from the companionway and only a misty golden halo flashing out and dying down on our port bow told where the flotilla leader was talking to the flagship tea is no less important a function on a british warship than it is ashore and nothing short of an action is allowed to interfere with it indeed how the cheerful clink of the teacup was heard in the prelude to the diapason of the guns was revealed to me a few days ago when the commander allowed me to read a few personal notes he had written while the light cruiser he was in at the time was returning to port after the battle of jutland the enemy being in sight it read we prepared for action stations and went to tea a few minutes later fingers which had crooked on the handles of the teacups were adjusting the nice instruments of precision that laid the guns for what was destined to prove the greatest naval battle in history tea was about as usual with us that day save that the officers who came in at the change of watch were dressed for business those from the bridge and conning tower in oilskins or lammy coats and sea boots and the engineers in greasy overalls a few words of shop steam pressure revolutions speed force and direction of the wind and the like passed in an undertone between men sitting next each other but never became general the sponginess of the new potato bread and the excellence of the margarine came in for comment and some one spoke of having rushed off a letter just before sailing ordering a recently advertised self-hair cutter a discussion as to just how this remarkable contrivance worked followed the consensus of opinion being that it must be on the safety razor principle but that it couldn't possibly be worth the guinea charged all that i recall having been said of what might be taking us to sea was when an officer likely to know volunteered that we would possibly be in sight of land in the morning and some speculation arose as to whether it would be norway or jutland a recently joined rnvr provoked smiles when he suggested a legoland the cabin which i had been occupying in harbour was one located immediately under the conning tower and used by the navigating officer when the ship was at sea the arrangement being that i was to go aft and live in his regular cabin while we were outside going forward after tea i threw together a few things for my servant to carry back to my temporary quarters groping aft in stygian blackness along the windward side of the ship i encountered spray in clouds driving across even the lofty forecastle deck the wind appeared to have shaken off its flukiness as we cleared the headlands and blowing with a swinging kick behind it was rolling up a sea to match i did not need to be told by the sea-booted sailor whom i bumped on the ladder that it wasn't goin to be no night for lambs to know that there was something lively in the weather-line in pickle probably to be uncorked before morning the grate robbed of its chimney was cold and empty when i went in for seven o'clock dinner half an hour earlier than in harbour and there was just the suggestion of chill in the close air of the wardroom 
an engineer lieutenant who started to reminisce about a winter cruise he had once made in the arctic was peremptorily hushed up with a request to talk about something warmer a yarn about chasing the Königsberg in the lagoons of east africa was more kindly received and an r n r s account of how his ship carried moslem pilgrims from singapore to jeddah on their way to mecca brought a genial glow of warmth with it there was something strangely cheering in his story of how when there was a following simoon blowing across the brassy surface of the red sea the lascar stokers used to go mad with the heat and jump overboard in their delirium the air seemed less dank and chill after that recital i ventured a sudorific contribution by telling of the way they made desert storms in the california movies with the aid of buckets of sand and a wind machine the whole table showed interest in this probably because it was so far removed from shop and sat long over port and coffee planning a blower that would discharge both wind and sand in sufficient quantities to give the desert storm illusion over the restricted angle of the movie lens at the turning of a single crank one does not need to be long upon a british battleship to find out that the inventive genius of the anglo-saxon race is not all confined to the american branch between officers on watch and those resting to relieve the after-dinner gathering around what had once been a fire was a small and rapidly dwindling one as i got up to go to my cabin the captain of marines quieted the pet cockatoo on his shoulder long enough to say as we would probably be at action stations early in the morning i might find it of interest to come up to his turret where he had a jolly smart crew we usually do a bj one at daybreak when we're out he said just on the chance that we may flush some sort of a hun in the early light quite like snipe hunting you know a snotty whom i met outside said something about the way the barometer had been chasing its tail on the drop ever since we got under way and when i turned on the light in my cabin i noticed that the arrows on the navigating officer's instrument indicated a fall of thirty points since noon the keen whistling of the rising wind shrilled with steady insistence and the wide swinging swells from the open sea were lock-stepping along with a tread that was just beginning to lift the great warship in a swaggering jack-tar roll on the floor of the cabin was a flannel bulldog with manipulable legs and a changeable expression its name was grip so the pilot had told me and it had been his constant companion ever since it was presented to him on the eve of his first sailing as a midshipman the only time they had ever been separated was on the occasion a colleague who had borrowed it as a mascot in a game of poker threw it overboard in chagrin when the attempt to woo fickle fortune proved a failure luckily the ship was lying in a river and the dog floated back on the next tide and was fished out with no damage to anything but the compression bladder which worked its bark the navigating officer left the companionable little beast in his cabin so he explained to give it the proper home touch for my first night at sea with the british navy cocking grip up in the genial glow of the electric grate in an attitude of watchful waiting i crawled into my bunk 
pulled up the adjustable side rail and was rocked to sleep to the even throb of the turbines and the splish splash of the spray against the screwed down scuttle we aren't having bj one this morning someone explained facetiously when i reported for uh, duty at seven o'clock because we already have bb eight this last meant boreas blowing eight he said and i was just nautical enough to know that a wind of eight in the beaufort scale indicated something like fifty or sixty miles an hour no u-boat will want to be getting within periscopic distance of the surface of the sea that's running this morning said a young engineer lieutenant who had been in the submarine service and even if one was able to get a sight its torpedo would have to have some kind of a kangaroo attachment to jump the humps and hollows with fact is it's rather more than our destroyers are entirely happy with and we've just slowed down by several knots to keep em from dipping up the brine with their funnels hope nothing turns up that they have to get a jump on for a destroyer's all right on the surface but no good as a submarine yet an undersea diver is just what she is if you drive her more'n twelve into a sea like the one that's kicking up now barometers down sixty points since last night and still going breakfast that morning had little in common with the similar festal occasion at base where fresh bathed and shaven each immaculate member of the mess comes down and sits over his coffee and paper much save for the fact that the journal is two days old as at home several places besides those of the officers actually on watch were empty and by no means a few of those who did appear had that introspective look which is so unmistakable a sign of all not being well within the citadel even the poldhu the daily wireless bulletin of the navy had a shot to pieces look where static or some other esoteric difficulty was responsible for gaps in several items of the laconic summary the last word in super dreadnoughts does not have table racks and screwed down chairs she isn't supposed to lose her dignity to the extent of needing anything in the way of such vulgar makeshifts the fact remains that if the mighty zeus had chanced to have these things she would have saved herself some china and several officers from the nine-pinning down one side of a table and piling up in a heap at the end with the staid wardroom doing things like this it was only to be expected that the mess decks would be displaying a certain amount of shiftiness i was however hardly prepared for the gay seascape which unrolled before me when i had worried my way through the intricate barricade of a watertight bulkhead door in trying to skirmish forward to the ladders leading to the upper decks for several reasons ventilation and guns have something to do with it it is not practicable to close up certain parts of a battleship against heavy seas to anything like the same extent as with the passenger quarters in a modern liner it is only in very rough weather that this may give rise to much trouble but well we were having rough weather that morning and that little bit of the roaring forties i had stumbled into was a consequence of it 
oil-skinned southwestered sea-booted men sitting and lying on benches and tables was the first strange thing that came to my attention and then with a swish and a gurgle the foot-deep wave of dirty water which had driven them there caught me about the knees and sat me down upon a pile of hammocks or rather across the inner bodies of two men boys i found them to be presently who had been cast away there in advance of me clambering over their unprotesting anatomies i gained dry land at a higher level and at a tactically defensible point where a half nelson round a stanchion steadfastly refused to give way under the double back-action shuffle with which the next roll tried to break it with two good toe-holes making me safe from practically anything but a roll to her beam's ends i was free to survey the shambles at my leisure then i saw how the havoc was being wrought with a shuddering crash the thousand-ton bludgeon of a wave struck along the port side immediately followed by the muffled but unmistakable sound of water rushing in upon the deck above to the accompaniment of a wild slap banging this sound came nearer and then as she heeled far to starboard under the impulse of the blow that had been dealt her a solid spout of green water came tumbling down a hatchway the fount from which the mobile tidal wave swaggering about the deck took replenishment two men worrying a side of frozen argentine bullock along to the galley from the cold storage hold timing or rather mistiming their descent to coincide with that of the young niagara reached the mess deck in the form of a beef sandwich depositing that delectable morsel in an inert mass at the foot of the ladder the briny cascade with a joyous woof rushed down to reinforce the tidal wave and do the rounds of the mess i was now able to observe that the sailors marooned on the benches tables and other islands of refuge were roughly dividable into three classes the prostrate ones who heaved drunkenly to the roll and took no notice of the primal chaos about them the semi-prostrate ones who were still able to exhibit mild resentment when the tidal wave engulfed or threatened to engulf them and the others some lounging easily but the most perched or roosted on some dry but precarious pinnacle who quaffed great mugs of hot tea and bit hungrily into hunks of bread and smoked fish these latter hard-bit tars they were with faces pickled ruddy by the blown brine of many windy watches took great joy of the plight of their mates guffawing mightily at the dumb misery in the hollow eyes of the semi-prostrates and dead-to-the-world roll of prostrates with the reelings of the ship if there is one thing in the world that delights the secret heart of the average landsman more than the sad spectacle of a parson in the divorce court it is the sight of a seasick sailor since however the average landsman reads his paper far oftener than he sails the stormy seas the former delectation is probably granted him rather more frequently than the latter at any rate the one landsman in number x mess of h m s zeus that morning saw enough seasick sailors to keep the balance on the parson's side for the duration of the war and perhaps even longer 
i made the acquaintance of one of the prostrates marooned on the beach of my hammock island through rescuing him from the assaults of a tidal wave driven rum tub he was nursing a crushed package of gumdrop-like lozenges one of which he offered me murmuring faintly that they had been sent him by his sister who had found them useful while boating at clacton-on-sea last summer endeavouring to start a conversation i asked him knowing the zeus had been present at that mighty struggle if they had had weather like this at the battle of jutland a sad twinkle flickered for a moment in the corner of the eye he rolled up to me and with a queer pucker of the mouth which indicated that he must have had a sense of humour in happier times he replied that he had only joined the ship the week before tis my first time at sea sir and i've come out to do this i gave him the best advice i could by telling him to pull himself together and get out on deck to the fresh air but neither spirit nor flesh was equal to the initiatory effort looking back while i waited near the foot of a ladder for a niagara to exhaust itself the last i saw of him he was pushing mechanically aside with an unresentful gesture a lump of salt pork which one of the table roosting sailors dangled before his nose on a piece of string three flights up i clambered my erratic way before on the boat deck in the lee of a launch i found a vantage sufficiently high and sheltered to stand in comfort the sight was rich reward for the effort save for an ominous bank of nimbus to westward the wind had swept the coldly blue vault of the heavens clear of cloud and the low-hanging winter sun to southward was shooting slanting rays of crystalline brightness across a sea that was one wild welter of cotton wool i have seen especially in the open spaces of the mid-pacific where the waves have half a world's width to get going in heavier seas and higher seas than were running that morning but rarely not even in a west indian hurricane more vicious ones seas more palpably bent on going over or through a ship that got in their way rather than under as proper waves should do and in this obliquity they were a good deal more than passively abetted by a no less viciously inclined wind which i saw repeatedly lift off the top of what it appeared to think was a lagging wave and drive it on ahead to lace the heaving water with a film of foam or dust the deck of a battleship with snowy brine but it was the ships themselves that furnished the real show of all the craft that ply the wet seaways the battleship is the least buoyant the most unliftable the most set on bashing its arrogant way through a wave rather than riding over it and with the increasing armour and armaments and the crowding aboard of various weighty contrivances hitherto unthought of this characteristic wilfulness has tended to increase rather than decrease since the war as a consequence a modern battleship bucking its way into a fully developed midwinter gale is one of the nearest approaches to the meeting of two irresistible bodies ever to be seen 
the conditions for the contest were ideal that morning never were seas more determined to ride over battleships never were battleships more determined to drive straight through seas both of them had something of their way in the end and neither entirely balked the other but drawn as it was that battle royal of titans was a sight for the gods the battleships were in line abreast as i came up on deck and holding a course which brought the wind and seas abeam we were all rolling heavily but with the rolls not sufficiently synchronized with the waves which were charging down without much order or rhythm to keep from dipping them up by the ton if the port rail was low as happened when the ship was sliding down off the back of the last wave the next wave rolled inboard and save where the mast funnels and higher works amidships blocked the way drove right on across and off the other side if the port side had rolled high as an impetuous sea struck the latter expended its full force against the ship communicating a jar from foretop to stokeholes as shivering as the shock of a collision with another vessel our own quarter-deck was constantly swept with solid green water and even the higher forecastle deck caught enough of the splash-up to make traversing it a precarious operation but it was only by watching one of the other ships that it was possible to see how the thing really happened if it was the wallowing monster abeam to port the striking of a sea was signalized by sudden spurts of spray shooting into the air all the way along her windward side the clouds of flying water often going over the funnels and bridge and not far short of the foretop she would give a sort of shuddering stumble as the weight of the impact made itself felt and then running from bow to stern and broken only by the upper works and occasionally but not always by the turrets a ragged line of foam appeared quickly resolving itself into three or four hundred feet of streaking cascades which came pouring down over the starboard side into the sea watching the vessel abeam to starboard the phenomenon was repeated in reverse order save for the swaying foretop against the sky either ship at the moment of being swept by a wave was suggestive of nothing so much as a great isolated black rock on a storm-bound coast but the most remarkable thing about it all was the astonishingly small effect this really heavy weather had upon the handling of the ships evidently they had been built to withstand weather as well as to fight for they manoeuvred and changed formation with almost the same meticulous exactitude as in protected waters a gunnery officer assured me that except for momentary interference in training some of the lighter guns the fighting efficiency of the ship would hardly be affected by all their plungings and the clouds of flying spray their speed was naturally somewhat diminished in bucking into a head sea yet no lack of seaworthiness would prevent should the need arise their being driven into that same head sea at the full power of their mighty engines the reason we were proceeding at somewhat reduced speed was to ease things off a bit for the destroyers ah and what of the destroyers 
there they all were the faithful sheepdogs when i came up and at first blush i got the impression that they were making rather better weather of it than the battleships that this was only an optical illusion caused by the fact that they were farther away and more or less obscured by the waves i discovered as soon as i climbed to the vantage of the after superstructure and put my glass upon the nearest of the bobbing silhouettes of mast and funnel then i saw at once though not indeed any such spray clouds or cascades of solid water as marked the course of the battleships that she was plainly a laboring ship a destroyer is not made to pulverize a wave in the bull-at-a-gate fashion of a battleship and any exigency that compels her to adopt that method of progression is likely to be attended by serious consequences if one of the modern type she will ride out almost any storm that blows if left to her own devices but force her into it at anything above half speed and it is asking for trouble even before the destroyer i was watching began disappearing hull funnels and all but the mastheads between crest and crest of the onrushing waves it was plain that both she and her sisters were having all they wanted and i was not surprised when word was flashed to us that one of our brave little watchdogs was suffering from a wave-smashed steering gear and had asked permission to make for port if necessary the permission was i believe granted but carrying on with some sort of a makeshift or other her plucky skipper managed to stick it out and see the game through to the end there were a number of other ships in difficulties in that neck of the north sea at this moment and every now and then by the wireless word would come to us from one of them mostly they were beyond the horizon but two were in sight one two smoke-blackened jiggers and a bobbing funnel-top beneath a bituminous blur to the east was apparently a thousand-ton freighter an officer told me that she had been signalling persistently since daybreak for assistance but when i asked him if we were not going to help her he greeted the question with an indulgent smile assistance will go to her in due course he said but it will not be from us that kind of a thing might have been done in the first month or two of the war but the huns soon made it impossible now any battleship that would detach a destroyer at the call of any ship of doubtful identity would be considered as deliberately asking for what she might jolly well get a torpedo another ship which was plainly having a bad time was some kind of a cruiser whose long row of funnels was punching holes in a segment of skyline there was a suggestion of messiness forward but nothing we attached any importance to until word was wireless that she had just had her bridge carried away by a heavy sea and that the navigating officer had been severely injured the latter was known personally to several of the wardroom officers and at lunch speculation as to what hurt he might have received led to an extremely interesting discussion of the waves of a wave with a man also of the comparative seaworthiness of light cruisers and destroyers the things that waves have done to all three of them since the war began to say nothing of the things all three have done in spite of waves is a story of its own the barometer continued to fall all day with the wind rising a mile of velocity for every point of drop 
the seas though higher and heavier were also more regular and less inclined to catch the ship with her weather rail down the low cloud-bank of mid-forenoon had by early dusk grown to a heavens-obscuring mass of ominous import and by dark snow was beginning to fall the ship was reeling through the blackness of the pit when i clambered to the deck after dinner so that the driving spray and ice needles struck the face before one saw them by even the thousandth of a second the darkness was such as one almost never encounters ashore and it was some time before i accustomed myself to close my eyes against the unseen missiles when turning to windward without deliberately telling myself to do so in advance into the stygian pall the vivid golden triangles from the signal searchlights on the bridge flashed like the stab of a flaming sword one instant the darkness was almost palpable enough to lean against the next the silhouette of funnels and foretop pricked into life but only to be quenched again before the eye had time to fix a single detail so brief was any one flash that the action in each transient vision was suspended as in an instantaneous photograph yet the effect of the quick succession of flashes was of continuous motion like the kinema from where i stood the heart of the fluttering golden halos where a destroyer winked back its answer were repeatedly obliterated by the inky loom of a wave but the reflection was always thrown high enough into the mist to carry the message returning to the wardroom by the way of the mess decks i saw the youth who had offered me the anti-seasick lozenges in the morning now quite recovered he was himself playing the pork on a string game with one of the only two prostrates still in sight the following morning though the weather if anything was worse than ever all evidences of indisposition had disappeared for some days more we prowled the wet seaways and then well along into a night that was foggier colder and windier than the one into which we had steamed out we crept along a heightening headland nosed in the wake of the flagship through a line of booms and opened a bay that was dappled with the lights of many ships a few minutes later and the raucous grind of a chain running out through a hawse-pipe signalled that we were back at the old stand and since like all the rest of our sisters of the grand fleet we were expected to be ready to put to sea on x hours notice there was nothing for it but that the several hundred tons of coal which the mighty zeus had been snorting out in the form of smoke to contaminate the ozone of a very sizable area of the north sea should be replenished without delay a collier edged gingerly out of a whirling snow squall and moored fast alongside as i groped forward to retake possession of my cabin under the bridge and i went to sleep that night to the grind of the winches and the steady tramp tramp of the barrel pushers on the decks above End of section one.